Do you worship the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ? You see, it's easy for us all to create little false gods in our theology and in our worship. Now, I don't necessarily mean worshiping the devil or listening to your rock and roll albums backwards on the record player. No, I don't mean that. I mean just being off in who we think God is. You see, God, or really the Godhead, is real. And because he is real, this means that he is who he says he is. And he cannot be anything else. In the same way that I am real. I can only be one way. That's me. I'm here before you. You're stuck with me. So I am a man and a husband, a brother, a son, a friend. Different people see me different ways, sure. But I am always me. My wife cannot choose for me to be, let's say, her car. Because that is not who I am. So this morning's question is an important one. There is only one king, and he is alive and well. He is not a fictional character that we made up or a historical figure who lived long ago. No, he lives and he listens to you today. He has told us how to worship him and how not to worship him. He is your friend and our maker. He is the lover of our very souls. So do you worship the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord God, we just ask that you would be known today to us as you are. And we pray for your Holy Spirit to come and fill us more and more. Amen. Our question this morning is threefold. First, is your relationship with God one of worship or one of rebellion? And second, is the object of your worship truly God or is it someone else? And thirdly, do you worship Christ as he stands today, risen and ascended. To answer these questions, we will look to the scriptures, which is where we find a lot of our answers to our questions. So let's turn first to our gospel reading in John chapter 17, if you have your Bible. We won't be there very long, so don't sweat if, you're, if you don't have it. Jesus answers the question of worship. What is worship? Well, Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I have manifested your name to the, uh, to the people whom you gave me out of the world, and they have received the words you gave me, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And Jesus lays out several ways that we worship God, he says, to glorify, which is like 
casting a light on God's holiness to show who God really is, to glorify him, to glorify God, or to fully do anything God gives you to do in complete obedience, to manifest God's name, or as Paul puts it, to be Christ's ambassador, to proclaim who God is, to receive God's words, his scripture, to know the truth about God, and to believe that Jesus has come from the Father. We could dive into each one and have a separate sermon about each one, but I will spare you those hours. So this morning we will focus on two points, one very quickly. First, we manifest God's name. This is what we meant when I said God is real, and he is who he says he is. So if I'm standing in a crowd, and someone yells out, Jeff, that's my name, I look up, and I wonder who's calling after me, because the word Jeff encompasses who I am. People say different things about me, some of them not nice, some of them very nice. But the name Jeff encompasses me and what people think of me. Likewise, the name of God is who he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Yahweh. And two, worshiping God means doing what he says, big or small. And this can be things in scripture like, love one another as I have loved you. Or it might be more of a leading that you hear or feel as if God is gently pushing you to do something. Here's an example that might be confusing for some of us. I was friends with a guy in college. This was a long time ago. I'm an old geezer, I'm sure. But he came up to me one day and he was just beaming. I mean... It startled me how happy he was. So I asked him, kind of scared, what are you so happy about? And he said, I smiled at someone today. Uh, that's nice. Okay, have a nice day then. I mean, what do you say to that? You know, okay, why are you so excited about smiling? Okay. So this is over a decade ago, so I don't remember all of the details, but the story he told me goes something like this. He had had the strangest and strongest sense one day, walking to class, that he should smile. That God wanted him to smile. But that is a weird and inconsequential thing for God to ask someone to do. So we thought, this is dumb. I'm not happy. I don't feel like it. I'm going to class. I haven't had my coffee. I'm not smiling. So he looked down at his feet and he kept walking to class. And this happened day after day after day for several days until finally he gave in to God's leading. So he walked to class that one morning with the biggest, cheesiest grin he could muster. He just walked to class, acting like he was happy. 
And then a strange thing happened. A girl walked up to him and said, thank you for smiling today. And she told him that she had been having such a difficult time in her life. And she had been asking God to show her that he still loves her in the smile of a stranger. Wow. That was a very significant moment for both of them. But it was a very small thing to do. So has there ever been something, anything, big or small, that God has told you to do, friend, but you have refused? This could be something mundane, like smiling while you walk. Or it could be scary, like selling everything you own, becoming homeless to minister to the marginalized. It could be from the Bible, like forgive your enemies. That's a tough one. Or something personal to you, like wear that green shirt today. This is a great way to worship the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if you have avoided something like this, and it doesn't matter how big or small it was, then you are in good company today. You are like everyone else in this room. You were, and perhaps still are, what Paul calls dead in your trespasses. You were following the course of that world out there. You were a son or a daughter of disobedience, and you deserve death. The penalty matches the gravity of the offense, measured in what was done and against whom it was done. Against whom have you sinned? Let me word that a little easier for you. Let's say you're, you punch a guy in a bar. It's not a good thing to do, but you might get away with it. Now, let's say you punch the Queen of England. Now you're in for it. You see, the gravity of the offense requires an equal gravity of penalty. So I deserve death. Not just any death, either. Our sin was against an eternal and infinitely good being. And so the punishment must be eternal. What Christ calls the second death. Okay, that's heavy. But this is the good part. So don't turn me off here. This is where we worship the one who is risen and ascended into heaven. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We will be here in a, for a while, so I do actually recommend if you have a Bible on your phone or in your lap to turn. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'll give you a second, and you can give me a second. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work 
in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. In other words, you used to do whatever you felt like. You used to look at and think about whatever you wanted. And we were, at that time, by nature, children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Okay, we'll pause there. You live in a kingdom. It might not feel like it because we have a president, but you live in a kingdom. We have one king, and he is the creator. See, he made everything, therefore he owns everything. Now, I lived in a kingdom once. I had a friend who had a, an apartment that he owned, and one day he didn't own it anymore because the king sent an ambassador knocking at his door and said, you now live somewhere else. The king owns this part now. He wants a road or a flower bed or a tree or whatever he wanted there. The king moved him out because the king owns the land. So we live in a kingdom. And God has laid out a law for his kingdom. And we have already agreed that we are all trespassers of that law. So we are rebels. That's what we call today a terrorist. That's the emotional word we use today, right? So you are a terrorist in God's kingdom. But what does God do with the terrorist? Because a terrorist must be dealt with, right? What does God do to those of us who have sinned against him? We continue. But God, being rich in mercy. Do you hear that? Rich in mercy. I love it. God is not just merciful toward you, toward us rebels. He is rich with it. He has more mercy than he knows what to do with, and he lavishes it on us. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, you, even when we were dead in our trespasses, you see, we are totally helpless in our sin. Granted, you choose to sin. You're not helpless not to sin. But once you've sinned, you are dead. And a dead man cannot revive himself. He must be revived. So, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Christ made us alive together with him. You see, Jesus is risen. And we are raised to life with him. So we are alive, even though we were once dead. By grace you have been saved. And Jesus, God raised us up with Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are seated. We worship the ascended Lord who is in heaven. He has a throne and a seat for himself, but he also has a seat for you if you are found in him. That means that once you are saved, you are established in heaven. Your fate has been sealed in eternal glory. Amen. So that in the coming ages, God might show the immeasurable, challenge him, try to measure it, the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness 
toward us, toward you in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that you cannot boast in your salvation. For we are God's workmanship, his poetry, his masterpiece, his artwork, created in Christ Jesus for the good works which God prepared for you beforehand, that we should walk in them. Okay, that's Ephesians chapter 2. I want to challenge you this morning, okay? This is the challenge for each of us. If you're an unbeliever here, I want you to know I'm not mad at you. I might speak loudly, but I do not yell. I am so glad that you are here. Since you are here, though, I want to challenge you. Is there anything that you have been told to do personally by God, but have refused? If there is anything, and there might not be, that's okay, then you've probably already thought about it this morning. So I want to invite you to take a little step toward God today and just see what happens. It's not too late. God is extending his hand of friendship to you today in this sermon. And he will give you peace and the power of the Holy Spirit if you will let him. And for the Christians in the room, you are not off the hook, of course. In this morning's passage that we heard from Acts chapter 1, we hear Christ's final words to his disciples before going to heaven. So what was that last thing that God wanted us to know before, he went, before Jesus rose to heaven? What was the last thing Jesus left us with? This is an important thing. And what's more, it's one of the very few sermons that are found in all four of the Gospels and a fifth time in Acts. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and, and, there's a big and here, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, Christian, go into all the world, to all nations, to the ends of the earth, to all creation, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Preach the gospel and nothing else. If it does not sound like the good news of Ephesians, that Jesus died for your sins, salvation is a gift from God that no one should boast, then it is not the gospel. And remember, Christian, Jesus, your first love, will come back the same way that he left. He will be reunited to you. So get excited for the return of your first love and be ready for his coming. Amen.